And we will turn back to the portion that was read in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Labour to enter into rest. Um, We're looking at appropriations from the wilderness wanderings account in the Old Testament. We've been through those, we've talked of them, we've made application of each of those different complaints that the children of Israel had in the wilderness, their gripings and grizzlings there. (laughs) Last week we looked at don't be carnal as they were. That's one appropriation or application to our lives. Don't be carnal as they were. And we took that from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and into chapter 3 is we're exalted as Christians not to be carnal. We were seen that we shouldn't be carnal or immature in our attitudes, our attractions, our affections and our abilities being applied. Today we look at entering into his rest as they should have. Now this is plainly put as we read it this morning there in the book of Hebrews, you can't mistake that. It is talking about the time in the Old Testament where they wandered around and uh, they didn't find rest. I wouldn't like to wander around in the desert. And <laughs> it's bad enough living in Australia and when it gets hot, but praise the Lord for the rain this week uh, and <clears throat> a drenching we got in the middle of summer. Praise the Lord. And more coming, they say. But uh, I don't think they got that in the wilderness. You know, washes all the dust off everything, cleans everything up, and uh, <clears throat> refreshes the place, although humid afterward and before it. But they were certainly not at rest in their life in the wilderness. To God, that we would be a restful people, finding rest for our, in our lives from God. The, the world is not at rest, is it? Mm-hmm. Certainly not at peace, and therefore was, <coughs> excuse me, not at rest. And so we look at this today, and it's a very pointed application to ourselves. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and how it, and through it, we can find rest for our souls. Lord, if there are those who are here or listening in that are not Christians, they certainly don't have rest. They're in turmoil particularly as they look around and see the troubles in the world <coughs> in the world and in the nations. <coughs> Lord, I pray that we would anchor our soul and that they who are unsaved would anchor themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ and be at rest. And as Christians, Lord, we can be battered to and fro and unrestful in our lives if we live a carnal life. Your spirit will prompt us and provoke us and and uh, be upset with us if we do not walk according to the word of God. Now I pray Lord that today each one of us would have found the rest that is promised in these verses. And Lord we bring before you our brother Dunn as he is there in the hospital and Lord that you'd strengthen his mortal body and that the doctors may be able to uh, give the appropriate things to have his blood pressure come up to normal Lord we thank you for him and his testimony and ask Lord that you administer to him in this hour of need as he's in the intensive care unit in in the hospital in Melbourne Lord be with his family and be with the church family that are praying for him Lord I pray and ask your blessing on the service today in Jesus name Amen Back to Hebrews chapter 3. Excuse me. The background for this rest, if you're following. I see Bernie was... Paul's back (laughs) with his fishermen friends. (laughs) He did it once before when he was sitting over here about seven years ago. Yeah. He hasn't changed his remedy. You know, if I put this in, it might be a more hot sermon. (laughs) Should I? (laughs) There. We'll see what it clears up. 
The background for this rest is Israel's bondage in Egypt, of course. Israel's bondage in Egypt for those 250 years and, yea, 400 years from when Abraham went down pictures the sinner's bondage in this world. Israel's deliverance was marked by a certain event. Can you remember what marked the event of the Exodus? What was the day? How did it start that night? How did it begin? The night before they were to offer a lamb. And it's called the Passover lamb. And the blood was shed. And the blood had to be applied to the doorpost, remember. And so Israel's deliverance started in that way. And folks, there is no other way to heaven but through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our deliverance from our sinful and lost condition is based upon the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And until that point, we are in bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, bondage to self. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, it reads, Who, Jesus Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Are you there today? Are you who are listening in maybe there today? You're unsaved, you're in bondage. But you can be delivered as the children of Israel were as they applied the blood to their hearts and believed enough to apply it to their doorposts, which is to our, as it were, to our hearts. As Israel went out, Israel doubted and disbelieved the promises of God. And we've looked at that over weeks, months, yea. And they said in Numbers 13 and 14, the big test for them, as the spies, the 12 spies went in from Kadesh Barnea, they said, we are not able. And so many Christians are in that position. We're not able. We can't do it. Of course you can't in the flesh. Of course we can't in the flesh. They went backward in unbelief instead of forward by faith. And they wandered for 40 years and died in the wilderness. There in Hebrews 3, we read verse 7 again and following. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you'll hear his voice. And he's talking to a new generation of Hebrews in the early New Testament here. Hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation where Israel provoked the Lord. Provoked Moses and Aaron in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, said the Lord. They do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my what? Rest. They might have had the rest of salvation but they didn't have the rest of surrender. The surrender rest. And God wants us to be surrendered to him and not provoking him as they did in the wilderness. See, the application is very obvious in Hebrews. This pictures the experience of believers who will not recognise their spiritual inheritance in Christ and doubt God's word and live in restless unbelief. They live, as we looked at last week, as carnal people, as unsaved people. Hebrews 3 verse 12 reads, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What was their cry over and over again when they had a complaint? Would to God we're back in Egypt. Back in the world. Would to God we were like we were before we got saved. (laughs) Would to God we had the whip applied to our backs by the Egyptians as we, we slaved for them. Why want you to go back into that position? And people who name the name of Christ and then desire to go back, it's a disastrous thing for them. Now, you can't get unsaved if you're truly saved. And I believe a lot of those in the wilderness were just followers along, you know, dragging the, dragging the chain and dragging the family back. Not all of them, but many of them. <clears throat> They're out of Egypt. 
And God is with them, doing wonderful things, but they do not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing because they've still got one foot in the world, as it were, and one foot in the church. We say that today. <clears throat> so that's surrenderous. They weren't surrendering to God. And I'm, a, I'm sorry to say that I think a lot of us today are in that category. One foot in the world and one foot in the church, one with the Lord, one in the world. And we're not surrendered as we should be. Salvation rest out of Egypt, surrender rest in the wilderness, and then the service rest. Israel eventually crossed the Jordan into Canaan <clears throat> for the present and the future rest. This pictures our spiritual inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And that speaking presently, we're already, as it were, there in heaven, but we're still down here in an earthly mortal body. Uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 11 reads, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated. That's not going to change. We're going that direction. We're secure. According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. As, as it were, we were, we are there. And so in our service, in our Christian life, we, can, we have the knowledge that we're, we're going to make it no matter what. It's good as being there. If Canaan represented heaven and crossing the Jordan death, as some of our hymns put it, then there are still battles to do and to be won and lost in heaven, and it's not so. And so they got the doctrine wrong when they were thinking of what they wrote there in those hymns. Israel <coughs> had to cross the Jordan by faith. Remember, the, the priest would go and he's to put his foot in there when the waters were over the banks, flooding, and the and it. And they had to just step out there by faith. And you're going to go in the water. No, you're not. <laughs> and it stopped immediately and it banked up and walled up and it built up. It kept on building up as the floods kept on building. God, <laughs> he was in the business I was, I've been in, dam making. <laughs> he did it in the Red Sea and he did it in the Jordan. He built a bank across there. And the I don't know, the angels, who was holding it all back? <laughs> but they were holding it back. And it says the water's below run off down into the Dead Sea. It literally says that, and the others just build up until two million people or so, and all the animals that they had before when they left Egypt and had gained as they moved through, went through that place. So <clears throat> Israel had to cross the Jordan. What do you think that might be a picture of? And it's in Romans chapter 6. They had to go under and they had to come up. Baptism. <laughs> as they were baptised in the Jordan, as they were baptised in the Red Sea. <laughs> but again, there in the Jordan, before they could win and have the Christian victory, as, as we put it, in the Christian life, and go and possess the land in victory, and claim the inheritance by faith, just as believers must do today. And you can read Romans 6 in relation to that. So that's the background for these rests that are spoken about in the book of Hebrews. Now let's look at the blessings of these rests. Having looked at the background, we can better understand what the results of this rest means. Hebrews 3.11 So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Now, <clears throat> I would say as we go through these quickly, just mark them. Uh, look at them, remember them because they're mentioned, and this is what the subject is in this portion. Verse 18 of chapter 3, And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any should come short of it. Verse 3, in, verse, in chapter 4, For we who have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, 
although their works were finished from the foundation of the world. Last part of verse 4, and God did rest the seventh day from his works. And verse 5, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. You think the, t- <laughs> the subject is rest, isn't it? Verse 8, verse 9, 10 and 11 all speak of this rest. And here in <clears throat> chapter 4, we're introduced to God's Sabbath rest at the end of creation week. That's spoken of in Genesis 2, 2. And it's here spoken of in verse 4. And God rested the seventh day from all his works. Which pictured the rest we have in Christ through three things. Through salvation. We've already mentioned these three. Salvation. Surrender and submission and service. Let's look at them in a little more detail. The blessings of of these rests, first of all, is salvation. We mentioned it earlier as an introduction. Verse 3 of chapter 4. For we who have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into rest. My rest. This is salvation rest. Can you think of another portion, another Bible verse that refers to this rest that we have in Christ? Let me get you started. Come unto all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's talking about salvation. And as I said before, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to become a Christian. You need to enter into the rest of salvation because you have a heavy burden laden with sin and you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of mankind being on earth is in the plan of God's creation is that we might fellowship with him and he doesn't want us to be wandering sheep lost in the wilderness. He wants to succumb to him and find the rest we have in salvation. It can let you lay down and go to sleep at night because you know if you don't wake up in the morning <laughs> you wake up in another place in heaven and that's the, mo- the real morning isn't it <laughs> when we wake up there in heaven <clears throat> one of my, gra- my grandfather on my mother's side said this and he, he said <clears throat> I hope I die quick and I hope I die in my sleep <laughs> he laboured hard in the mallee they had tens of tens of draft draft horses. I've got pictures of them pulling plows and things. You guys with um, John Deere's, are you thankful? <laughs> you don't have to harness the horses and feed the horses and unharness every day. But they did that. And you know what, Grandpa died of a heart attack in his sleep. He died and it was all over quick. He'd been working one day and was gone the next. And uh, <clears throat> wouldn't that be good? Instead of suffering long and unable and disabled to do a lot of things. But he, he, he had the, I believe, salvation rest. I remember taking mum to his funeral in a little purple Tirana that I had. <laughs> Zoomed up to the Mallee and uh, the funeral and met the, the Emmonsons and all the other side of the family. I hadn't, and I haven't seen many of them since. Um, since grandma's funeral up there. But um, <clears throat> salvation. Salvation rest. Have you got this salvation rest? Have you come to him? Are you saved? Do you know you're going to heaven? You know, there's dire, dire consequences for those people who will not believe and find the rest of salvation. It tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, And you who are troubled rest with us when our Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, oh, you're trying to convert me. (laughs) Blow the anti-conversion doctrine they're trying to push on us. Listen. This is true, is it not? It, it, if hellfire preaching, as the old Methodists used to do, converts your soul and secures you a place in heaven and you find rest, it's worth hellfire preaching. And if you haven't heard, as it were, a Methodist preaching, hellfire preaching, go to Tasmania to that Port Arthur and go into the pews of a place and press preacher or whatever it is. <laughs> And it was in 2004 that I heard 
Uh, well, I, I, it might have been a reenact or re, re-reading. It wasn't a, they didn't have recording in those ba- days, but someone was reading a sermon from a Methodist preacher. And you thought, whoa, if we preach that in our church, people would all up and leave. <laughs> he was hot. <laughs> he was preaching hellfire. He was all about conversion. You need to be saved. Flee from the wrath to come. Find rest for your soul. First, uh, Titus. The book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 16, says this. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. He's talking talking about people that don't believe. (coughs) Rebuke them sharply in verse 13. And I believe some of these were believers. And he said, these people, they profess that they know God. There's a lot of people around that profess that they know God, isn't there? There's a lot of people in churches today profess we know God. But they have not repented. They have not believed. They're trusting in their works for salvation. And they haven't found the rest that God is offering them. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3 through to 6 gives the same similar warning. Chapter 2 verse 3 of 1 John. And by this do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If Israel in the wilderness knew him, they would have obeyed him and kept his commandments, but many of them didn't. He said that he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. By this know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. It's plain that if you're truly born again, there will be a difference in your love and keep his commandments. You'll love his word. You won't be able to go through the day without reading his word. Get into the word. <laughs> Do you really believe the Lord? In verse 2 of Hebrews 4, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them in the wilderness, But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that God is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So the blessing of this rest is the rest of salvation. The blessing of the rest is a rest of submission in the Christian life. (laughs) If you're waking at night and you're scared... You're scared of the dark. You're scared of eternity. You're scared of what's going on in the world. You need to seek the Lord. Now I wake at night too, in the middle of the after the middle of the night, but I wake because there are burdens on my heart, for people, for situations, for world situations, church situations, state situations. I don't know if you do, but you pray to the Lord and ask that. He would have his way and will. And, you know, if if things, and it seems to be, you know, we pray for something and it doesn't go the way we would like it. We pray for something else and it doesn't go the way we'd like it. God's got a plan, hasn't he? And he's fulfilling that. And he's drawing things to an end. He's stitching it up (laughs) in this world through leaders who do not even believe in him. Whether they be in Russia or Turkey or in Victoria (laughs) or wherever. God is using these people, though they don't know. He's got a plan. So we just have to say, Lord, I trust you. I leave it in your hands. And we'll probably be disappointed again this week, but we'll leave it in his hands. He's got a purpose. So there's salvation rest, but then there's submission rest. The submissive person, there were two submissive out of 12, and that was Joshua and Caleb. They said, we can, we are able. The other said, we are not able. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 11 again. So I swore in my wrath, they who don't believe shall not enter into my rest. And they didn't. All those 20 and over didn't enter into his rest. Which is a picture of our present rest as we claim our inheritance in Christ. Chapter 4 verse 11 says... Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest. And we won't be labouring for the Lord unless we're surrendered to him. I found that over and over again. Christians that don't surrender to the Lord will not want to work for the Lord. 
Why should they? They haven't got the bent. They haven't got that will. They haven't got the drive to do what's right. And we ought to have that. But I'm afraid that we don't because we're so satisfied with and we, this world and we're living fleshly, carnal lives. We need to reckon on our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and reckon on that which we decided when we got baptised and death to the world, death to self and sin. And now I'm going to live victoriously for the Lord. <clears throat> we should live in surrendered lives, completely committed to him. As Joshua, Caleb, Moses, Aaron and Miriam did amongst others that were believing their word and God's word. Surrendered. <clears throat> we can understand that the wilderness wanderings represent the experiences of believers who will not claim their spiritual inheritance in the Lord, who doubt God's word and in restless, are in restless unbelief. They're living in carnality. To be sure, God is with them as he was with Israel. As we read, evidently he was, he spoke to them. But they do not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing in this life. They are out of Egypt, but they are not yet in Canaan. They are prone to die in this wilderness if they don't submit to his will and Caleb, as Caleb and Joshua did. You know, <clears throat> it's sad to officiate at a funeral of a, of a carnal Christian. But you because you can't confidently say they were living for God. You can't say they were if they weren't, can you? You, 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 you put yourself in the pastor's position and you're asked to do a funeral. If you're asked to do a funeral of a person who is not a Christian, that, that is easier than doing a funeral of a Christian who was carnal, who's a, a wilderness-wandering person dying, going to die in this wilderness. I pray that at your funeral we'll be able to give <coughs> eulogy. I don't like that word. It doesn't sound good, but a eulogy that is godly, that this man lived for the Lord. <laughs> It'd be better to have one like Enoch. He was not, for God took him. <laughs> Can't find him. He's gone. Maybe many of us will have that. We look forward to that day. But submission. Are you submitted to him? And if you're submitted to him, you have rest as you walk the Christian life. You will have it. God promised that. But if you're out of God's will as a Christian, you won't have the rest. God will be needling you all along the way. Paul, even before he became a Christian, felt that. You know, you're kicking against the goats. You're kicking against the pricks. You're kicking against what God is trying to do in your life. Just surrender and say, we can conquer. We can go in. There's a third one. <clears throat> it's the rest of service. And this comes after surrender. And this is where they went into the promised land. The future rest that they could have looked forward to. That rest and indeed the rest that comes at, <laughs> at death. We rest his mortal body, you know, at the, at the graveside. His mortal body is rested. His works are finished. There's no more works in heaven that you can, uh, as it were, receive rewards for. There will be work in heaven. We know that because before Adam and Eve fell, if you read your devotional this week, what did he give Adam and Eve to do? Work. Work is a good thing. Work is a fulfilling thing. Work is that which God gives us to do. And, and it'll be there in heaven, but not for reward. We, we labour and worship him in a wonderful way then. But the rest of service, these people, the future rest, these people of Israel, and, and we, as all believers, will enjoy with God. Let's look at chapter 4 and verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. <clears throat> for he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works. There's three interpretations of that verse. I won't give you all of them. <laughs> but he, is it a believer? A surrender believer? A believer at death? Is it Christ? And then read that if you interpret he in that, those different ways. But he that has entered into his rest, I believe it's speaking about a believer, he also has ceased from his own works. You know, it would be wonderful to get there and... Ah, 
<laughs> I'm home. I can rest now. I don't have to labour anymore. Look, you know, you work all day, you come home, you want to put your feet up for a little bit to, to get your energy back and then, and then <laughs> get reinvigorated for the next, next uh, part of life. <laughs> and that's eating the meal or <laughs> working around the house or doing, doing chores and things. But here this rest is permanent, it's eternal. We cease from our own works. And we could say for a Christian, those in the wilderness were trying to do their thing. They were working, but not for a no profit. Those in Canaan were working for profit because they got cities, they got lands, they got flocks, they got everything. But a Christian also who ceases from his own works will be when death comes, all done, all finished, and then will give an account. And then the rewards. And then the talents will be, what have you done with yours? What have you done with yours? You know, your ability, the pounds, the talents, the rewards. They're all through the New Testament spoken of that we must labour for to enter into that rest. Listen to what he, Revelation fourteen thirteen says. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are they, the dead who die in the Lord. They died being Christians. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours and their works do follow them. That's a good one, isn't it? They've died in the Lord being Christians. They've rested from their labours and their works follow them. You know, we say you can't take anything to heaven but your children. But you also can take your works, which will be judged according to 1 Corinthians 3. At the Bema Sea. And their works do follow them and they are rewarded for that. And, and the people of the tribulation that die and are martyred for the Lord, their works will follow them. And talking to Andrew for some hours yesterday about, about things we can't talk about here. But, you know, we prayed. We prayed at the end that God would open the eyes of the Jewish people. That they would see who they are. And what they need to do, they need to believe on the Lord Jesus and find rest for their soul and be saved. But many won't, many will in a time of terrible tribulation. And they'll come to him and they'll turn multitudes. They will work like no Christian has ever worked. They will labour like no man's laboured in this world because the results will be, as is in Revelation multitudes which no man can number will be brought into heaven and their works will follow them as they die and are martyred for the Lord the, the, these people these witnesses praise the Lord for that day to come the rest of service this is the rest of service now will you have the rest of service when you enter into present, the presence of the Lord will your works follow you have you done something for the Lord? Have you labored for the Lord? <laughs> That's what I say. And I keep warning and warning and telling you that you need to put your hand to the plow. You need to get involved in the work. You, we need to testify to people. We need to teach Sunday school. We, we've got a meeting this afternoon. <laughs> Maybe there's a labor you can do for the Lord. That one day you'll enter into rest saying, and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Your works have followed you to heaven. Will you have works following you? Or are you just like those in the wilderness, complaining and grizzling, serve me, I don't want to serve you. <laughs> and Christians everywhere are like that. Basis for these rests, we've looked at the background of the rests, we've seen the blessings of the rest. The basis for these rests, Hebrews 3 again and verse 12. <clears throat> Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. These Hebrews that were scattered throughout the early Christian church around the countries there, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is saying, Take heed, take heed, lest you're just like those people, your relatives in the wilderness, departing from the living God. So the basis for these rest is let us take heed. Let us take heed. Let us take heed to the sad history of Israel's hardening heart and unbelief. Their heart wandered from the word of God. Their heart refused to believe until 
terrible things come upon them in the wilderness, as we've seen. When a person has an erring and disbelieving heart, the result will be a hardened heart. What a <clears throat> if you we have today a phrase hardening of the arteries. Maybe some people here got hardening of the arteries and they don't know it. That means a plaque is building up and their veins and arteries are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's just pushing through and the heart's, you know, like the old piston pump where we watered our strawberries, a big strawberry passion. The old piston, you don't see them anymore, you see the centrifugal pumps only, but it had, it's like, a, like an old steam engine. And the water in that, that um, barrel when it got sucked in, and the valve shut and it pushed it, it had to go. It either blew a pipe or went out the sprinklers. And so it pushed it through. And, and your old heart is labouring to push the blood through your, your body system. And the more nice things you eat, like sugar and drinks that are sugary and bread that is, turns to sugar and potatoes that turn to sugar and you know, all the nice things we enjoy. Why are all the good things, why are they all bad for you? <laughs> to the hardening of the arteries, the building up of the plaque. Mine wasn't that way. I praise the Lord. They went in there and didn't find it. And they've tested these collateral arteries that go up to the brain a couple of times and they haven't found any on the joint just here somewhere. You got it too. But it can and you can have a stroke just like that. Immediately you don't know it's coming, don't feel it coming, and don't feel it when it's come. And it doesn't go very quickly. But that is the hardening of the arteries. Is your heart becoming hardened? You know what happens to the heart when that happens? The heart gets bigger. And bigger. It's a muscle that's pumping all that time. And it just gets bigger and bigger to get to do the job of pushing the blood through. My my valve was stitching itself up from having bad teeth when I was a teenager. You got bad teeth, I tell you, get them out. Or <laughs> I don't say get them out or fix them <laughs> because it's dangerous in the future. And <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, that back in my days, it, you didn't know these things. But it starts stitching, the valve, main valve out of the heart starts stitching itself up with calcification. And it's supposed to be almost, well, 20 to 25 mil big, and it was down to about, a, about 5 mil. And what was the heart doing? Pump, pump, pump. And the doctor said, don't do anything, don't walk the hill, don't, don't drive the bulldozer, just sit until you have the operation. Because you could have a heart attack like that. Or you could have a stroke. You're not getting blood, blood to the brain. And, and the hardening of the heart, the hardening of the arteries. You know, a lot, you know what a lot of Christians, as we looked at last week, in their spiritual appetite, are eating spiritual junk food, and they're getting hardening of the arteries. They're getting an enlarged heart. Brother Dunn had an enlarged heart, and his wasn't because it was blocked. His was because the valve, the mitral valve, was, it was supposed to be like that, a mitre, but it was down. From, from something he'd done, he told me what, he knew when it had happened, and he said, he told the deacons, didn't he? He's told his wife now, I, th I, th I think, I hope, <laughs> otherwise she just found out <laughs> if she's listening, but, <clears throat> and that collapsed and what it was doing, up, and the blood was coming back into the heart instead of going around the body, only a little bit was going around the body, up and in and out, so it was getting enlarged. Folks, take heed. Physically, what would you do if you get chest pains? What do you do? What should... Well, the husbands won't, the wives make them. <laughs> Go to the doctor. And he'll give her a referral to the cardiologist. <laughs> and they're not mean people. They're usually healthy. My cardiologist is so thin. <laughs> you think the wind would blow him over. But he's out there every morning at 5.30 on his bike doing 30 kilometres. And my doctor does too. And I feel ashamed when I talk to them. So what I did instead, I said to my doctor, oh, you know, uh, Dr. Natarasa, he goes biking. Oh, does he? Because my doctor goes biking. I said, oh, we'll have to get in contact and go as a group. They've already got two doctor's groups going around town. So don't run those guys over if you see them early in the morning. <laughs> They're saving us. Go to the doctor. He'll fix your hard heart. You know what? Go to the doctor, the physician, the great physician, the Lord Jesus. He will fix your hardened heart. He will give rest to your soul. 
Let us take heed, folks. And don't refuse as he knocks on your heart's door. When a person has an erring, disbelieving heart, the result will be the hardened heart, which desires to go back to Egypt despite all of God's blessings that one can see. Go to chapter 6 of Hebrews. Now, some will disagree with me right at this point. I think most of you will agree, as we've preached it before. In verse 3, he said, And this will we do if God permit. For in verse 4, It is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, they heard about salvation, they tasted the good word of God, they were partakers of the Holy Spirit as he convicted and convinced them of their sin, and the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. They thought of heaven, they realised, yes, it's real. Hell is real, heaven's real. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance. God was knocking on their heart's door that they might become a Christian. God was saying, believe on me, trust in me. Believe that I died to pay for your sins and give rest to your soul. But they refuse and walk away and say no. If they shall fall away, and that's the word apostatize, apostasia, which means they weren't saved, to renew them again to that point that verse 4 talks and 5 talks about repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. Now that's an opposite to some that teach otherwise. But that's what I believe it's talking about. Don't mess with God. Don't refuse to heed his voice. Take heed to what he said. Have we buckled? Have we surrendered to Satan and said, my, my soul's yours? Let's have the confidence and hold the confidence as Paul's, uh, the writer of Hebrews, I keep referring it to Paul, you know who I think it is. But he, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, Christ is a son of his own house, whose house we are. We are his house. He lives in us. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. And verse 14, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. He was encouraging these Hebrews not to give up on their confidence in the Lord and the confidence and trust in him that he would save their soul. Have you this bold confidence or are you departing from the living God? Let us take heed. Let us take heed. That's the first encouragement here. The basis for the rest is taking heed. The second basis for the rest is let us fear. And that's in chapter 4 and verses 1 through to 8. As it reads in verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into rest, any should come short of it. Lest we fall short of enjoying our spiritual inheritance in Christ. I believe speaking to Christians, you're saved, but you're falling short of what you could be in your Christian life. Have you mixed the word with faith? According to verse 2, the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I pray that you do mix the word with faith. Over in the book of James, chapter 1, James chapter 1 and verse 22, we read this. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if... Any be a hearer of the word, not a doer. He's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. He beholdeth himself, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth in it, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let us fear, lest we come to church. We hear the word, we're convicted about the word and we go out and we talk about everything but but the Lord and we go about our week without giving any heed to him and forget what manner of men we were and how we were convicted. Let us fear lest we fall into that trap. How many have fallen into that trap? I've fallen into that trap, even preaching the word. You go away and... What did I preach on? <laughs> hey, if I forget it, what do the people do? <laughs> forget, 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 you know. You know, we have to set the example. Let us fear, 
lest that happens to us. Let us trust in the Lord. Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 11, and look at that word, rest again, because there's two verses following that, verse 28, 29 and 30. Verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, the rest of salvation. But notice the next two verses and what they say. Take my yoke upon you. This is Matthew eleven twenty-nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? Rest. That's not the salvation rest. That's the works rest. That's the commitment rest. That's the surrender rest to the Lord. You take his yoke. Non-Christians can't take his yoke. Christians take his yoke upon. They yoke, they join up with the Lord in his work and they find rest for their souls. They know why they're here. They've got a purpose in life and they go for it and they find rest for their souls. For the Lord said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is talking about let us fear lest we get the rest of salvation, but we don't keep going forward. We don't grow in the Lord. We stay in the old carnal state, living, as it were, as a non-Christian. Let us fear, lest that happen to us. Romans 5.1 reads, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, we find peace with God through Jesus Christ in salvation. And then in Philippians it says, Be careful for nothing as Christians, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. So there's peace with God that comes with salvation, that the peace of God comes with service and surrender to the Lord. There's a third and final thing that we find here in what we should, the basis for this rest. Let us take heed, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Let us take, let us fear, chapter 4. And verse 1 to 8, and let us labour. Verses 9 to 13. <clears throat> let us labour. We're back in Hebrews chapter 4. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labour, verse 11, to enter into that rest. You say, well, you got saved, you're at rest. Yes. But we've got to labour to enter into eternal rest. We've got to labour that when we die, it might be said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us labour to enter into that rest. <clears throat> and then comes verse 12, that we often quote, and we probably know by heart, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why does the writer suddenly seem to change topics in verse 12 to the word of God? Because this is what we are to give diligence to. This is what we are to labour in. Labour in the word. And only it will stop us from drifting away like the Jewish people as a nation did. Israel became rebellious as they did not pay attention to the word of God. You know the quickest way to become a carnal Christian is to put this book down and stop reading it. It's to stop memorising, stop meditating upon the Word of God and things about the Word of God. The quickest way to become a drifting Christian. The, Christian, the quickest way to become an unsurrendered individual as a, as a Christian. Let us labour by heeding the Word. The two go together, work and the Word. Work is generated by faith in His Word. And labour, work... To enter into his rest. How are you doing? Are we labouring to enter into that rest? And the rest will be glorious. A precursor to the eternal state is the millennium. And the rest that's given to creation is promised in Romans 8. And in Isaiah a lot. It will rest from its destructiveness to each, toward each other. You know, lions eating lambs and all that. It'll rest. But how, how about us today? Are we resting in the Lord? And in, in that day, we will find rest too. This rest that's spoken of in verses 9, 10 and 11. But we will only enter that rest as we labour for him. 
I can't emphasize it enough. Thessalonians in chapter 5 verse 5 through to 8 says, We are not sons of night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunk, are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. This I say in 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine. This I say, brethren, time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they weep not, wept not, and uh, they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. You know, don't let the world get a hold of your thoughts and life to the point you're not laboring for the Lord. And they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of the world passes away. Let us labor. Let us hold the word. Let us, because of the word, be prompted to work for the Lord that we might have the service rest that is promised us there. Let us labor to enter into rest. The exhortation. Let us heed the three of them. Let us fear and let us labor in the three portions of scripture we've looked at. Let us labor. Labor is hard work. Labor in word and doctrine is mentioned. Labor to fulfill, to do what God has given you ability to do. Labor. Work in it. Are you slackening, slackening off? If you were the boss and you looked at yourself and the labor you do, would you sack yourself? <laughs> As a Christian. You're fired. <laughs> Here, think about it that way. Because what does God think if we think that of ourselves? I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not living like I should. I'm not, I'm not exercising my gifts. I'm, doing, I'm exercising them but for myself. Let us labor to enter into rest. Pray that God would be pleased with what we're doing for him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May each and every person listening in or here today know the rest of salvation and the peace that that brings, the peace that passes all understanding. May we have the rest of surrender and saying, Lord, I commit myself, I surrender all to you. And may we find the rest of service as we labor and work for you until the master comes we might occupy till he comes and then we'll enter into the glorious eternal rest where there is no more labor for reward bless each one with in where they're at and draw them to the next phase in their christian life in jesus name we pray amen